Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied abundantly unto you all through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. The psalm we read earlier talks about the delight of the law of God, and from Psalm 1, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This Sunday, in the life of the church, we traditionally read the Ten Commandments. We're going to do that a bit later in the service as our confession of faith. When was the last time you took a good look at the Ten Commandments? It's probably been a while. I mean, generally speaking, we don't like to look at the Ten Commandments because we live in a day and age that, well, doesn't even like to use the word obey. Commandments are, after all, given orders to obey them. And obey sounds like hemming us in, taking away our freedom. And if there is anything we contemporary people enjoy most is our freedom. And this has become increasingly obvious as you listen to discussions around current and past health orders. <laughs> when are we going to get back to our freedom? So even though most of us understand and adhere to public health orders, there is still a part of us that just doesn't like someone telling us what to do, especially when it comes to our freedoms. So we're going to talk about the law today, and hopefully you will see it in a different light. Not so much as something you have to follow, but something you want to follow because of where it comes from. A little background is so important. You know the story. God chose Abraham to father a great nation, and his clan started to grow, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. They had children. There was a famine in the land, so they ended up going down to Egypt where there was food, and they got help. Remember from their brother Joseph, they stayed. Everything was good for many, many years. But then a new pharaoh came to power and felt threatened by this increasing population of Hebrews. So he enslaved them, kept their population controlled by committing mass genocide. You know the story of uh, baby Moses. Life was awful for the now 100 plus, 100 mil, uh, million plus slaves who spent their lives, think about it, building icons and images to worship the gods and goddesses of Egypt. And let me tell you, Egypt, ancient Egypt, over 2,000 gods. There was a lot of altars to build, a lot of images, a lot of pyramids. And one thing you know about ancient Egypt, they never did things small. So the story continues that God called Moses to set the children of Israel free from the yoke of slavery. And you remember God sent plagues to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. Ten plagues. Man, God is patient. 
And finally, Pharaoh allows the Israelites to leave. And they head out into the wilderness, led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And they're free from slavery. They cross the Red Sea. They're really free. We have the great book of Exodus that teaches us that history. But here's the problem. This new nation that has only known slavery for hundreds of years, now they have freedom. The problem is they still have their sinful nature. And so they commit adultery. They steal from one another. They covet. They lie. They don't raise their children in the Lord. They're worshiping false gods in addition to the real God. Though they are set free, they have chosen to not live free. So God's going to speak to them. God's going to be loving and gracious and patient and merciful, just as he was with the Pharaoh, as he was with them, and as he is with us. And that brings us to the Ten Commandments. And I tell you all of this because you can't just start in Exodus chapter 20, read the Bible, the Jews, the Muslims, the moralistic, the political, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, do this, don't do that. If you do this, God will punish you. If you don't do that, God will bless you. The Ten Commandments are delivered in the context that God has already loved. God has already served. God has already set free. God has already adopted these people into his family. This is not about obeying him so that he will love you. It's about him loving you and helping you to obey for your well-being. Context is so important. And so God speaks to his people and here's what he says. First he tells them that he is the God who loves to set free. Look at Exodus 20 verse 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words, saying. Okay, first, who speaks? God. That is what God says. And this is what we believe. That what God says, the Bible says. What the Bible says, God says. Some people come to the Ten Commandments. They say, I disagree. These are not words from God. No. They sound like they're words from God. Okay, so here it is written by Moses. He records this. It says, first five books Moses wrote. It says it in Paul's letter. It says it in the teachings of Jesus. I went to university. The first thing they taught me when I took a religious class at university, Moses didn't write the first five books of the Bible. Yes, he did. He says he does. Paul says he does. Jesus says he does. It doesn't matter what the prophet university says. Moses wrote the first five books. And though Moses here is writing, it's ultimately God who is speaking. I need you to know this. When we open the Bible... 
God is speaking and you are hearing from him. We don't believe that this Bible is speculation about God. We believe it is revelation from God. And that's foundational for our faith. And God's going to say something. Anybody want to hear from God? I do. God's going to say something. And he says, I am the Lord your God. I'm Yahweh. It's me. This is a God who's speaking to everybody at once. Now, some would say that this is one of the only times in the Bible that God assembles all of his people to speak directly to them. It's unprecedented. It's very important. This is historically in a category by itself. He's going to start by telling us who he is. And here's the truth. Apart from Revelation, we would not know who God is. If God didn't tell us who he is, we would not know who he is. The good news, our God tells us who he is. I am the Lord, your God. That's very personal. When you see Lord in all capital letters in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it's the name of God. I'm Yahweh in the Hebrew who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of, look at that, slavery. And I'll tell you, the problem for humans, all of our problems as humans, is a problem of slavery. And the solution for us, and all of our problems, the solution is God. This is not just a story about what happened. It's a story about what always happens. It's not just an old book. It's a timeless book, and it's always timely for our lives. And what God is doing here is he's given us laws. Now, how many of you are not particularly excited about law? Please forgive me, lawyers. Law, how many... Think about it like this. I don't like laws. Okay, let's say Revenue Canada came out with a new tax code. We're going to get together and we're going to go through the fine print. We're going to look at all the details. How many of you would be, hmm, not for me, I'm out of here, right? How many of you, if your boss were to say, come on into the break room, Corporate office just sent a whole bunch more policies and we're going to go over them. How many of you don't come to the break room? Because it's not exciting. Sometimes, and here's the problem, when we think of law, we tend to think of law that is unhelpful and that's too bad. Is God's law like that? Many people today in our world, think like that. And sadly, it's because, and sadly, it's because they don't know the lawgiver. They just think it's a, someone penned a couple, ten commandments a long time ago. Laws can be stuffy, however, commandments, laws, 
rules are different when they come from a father. How many of you have kids? True or false, kids sometimes can be rebellious and do foolish things. They do. And so what a good father should do is call a family meeting. You always know when someone's going to, someone's done something wrong. When dad says family meeting, everybody's on the couch, everybody around the dining room table. Somebody did something and we've got to talk about it. And some of you have those family meetings and good for you. And some of you need to have those family meetings to set a good example for your kids. So when God gathers his children at the base of Mount Sinai and comes down to talk to them and give them his laws, it is not him saying, do these things and I will adopt you. It's him saying, I've adopted you. I need you now to do these things because I love you and they're good for you and they're good for others. And part of our struggle with law is if law is disconnected from the lawgiver, we could misunderstand the heart of the lawgiver. This is why the Pharisees, many years later during the time of Jesus, well, they loved the law, but not the Lord. Because for them, they focused on the law more than the lawgiver. The Hebrew word here for law is Torah, and we're in the Old Testament, and it's originally written in Hebrew. We have a hard time translating that word into English language, so we use the word law. It's not necessarily a bad word, but it can cause some problems because we think of Revenue Canada, tax codes, speed limits, bylaws, policies, health orders, you know, cumbersome governmental bureaucracy, middle management at our company. It's also a word that's used in Proverbs. When a father who loves his kids is teaching them how to live wisely so that they might flourish and have life. And the father says it this way in Proverbs 1.8. Hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. That's Torah. It's different, right? So for parents in general, we don't just drop laws on our kids. We sit down with them, look them in the eye, kiss them on the forehead, tell them we love them, and pray for them. Tell them that we can't love them any less or more because we are wholeheartedly devoted to them no matter what. And then tell them that we want their life to flourish. We want them to be blessed. So we're going to talk about some things and lay down some rules because we want them not to suffer and we want others not to suffer because of them. That's the father heart of God. If you separate the law from the father heart of the lawgiver, you end up questioning, is God good? Does God love me? Does God care? Are these Ten Commandments even relevant? I'll give you an example. It's an illustration. might help you. Years ago, we got one of those 
power, battery-operated power wheels for the grandkids, okay? It was a lot of fun for the kids, and they had a lot of fun riding all over the yard with it, even in the neighbor's yards. So I had to put up a fence around my yard to keep them safe, because if I didn't, they would find their way onto the street where there were cars. I wanted to keep them safe, so I put up a fence. A fence helped them keep them from dangers. Now, I figured out how to up the voltage on the power wheel so that it would go twice as fast. <laughs> so I kept them safe and gave them even more fun. Freedom is a good thing, but too much freedom can also lead to harm. God's law is like a fence or better like a guardrail. Some people, like philosopher Immanuel Kant, would say, looking at the fence, look at this oppression that limits my freedom of choice and my ability to express myself. Look at the limitations that my unkind father has burdened with me with. As a father, I would say, actually, the fence, the guardrail is an act of love. If you hop the fence, you're going to get hurt. If you wander off the property, you're going to get hurt. If you want to enjoy the whole yard, don't leave your father's house. Don't leave your father's presence because it could ruin you. Case in point, I'm thinking of a Bible story. The prodigal son. Luke 15. Read it. We have problems with rules because we're rebels by nature. Our old sinful nature wars against the laws of God. And a lot of people don't understand this because they are fatherless. They don't have a dad or they didn't have a dad like God. And when God gives us laws, if we don't see him as a father kissing us on the forehead, sitting us on the couch, around the table, telling us how much he loves us, telling us, that every law is a board in the fence to preserve our life so that we can run freely without being harmed, then we can all together see that God loves us. Freedom is not freedom to jump the fence, but freedom to play in the yard. And by the way, God's got a big, big yard. And that's exactly what God is here doing with his children, he's going to give them the law, the Ten Commandments. Now, when we look at the law, how do we interpret it? Well, Jesus, our rabbi, teacher, says in Luke 24, 44, look what he says, everything written about me in the law of, who wrote the law? Moses, must be fulfilled. Jesus says the law is about me. We believe the Old Testament is about Jesus. The New Testament is about Jesus. We believe the whole Bible is about Jesus. Everything is foreshadowing his coming, explaining his victory, preparing us for his second coming. The whole Bible is about Jesus. And the law shows us our sin and our need for Jesus, our Savior, right? The law acts as a mirror. We learn that in confirmation. 
And as we read the law, we realize God is holy, perfect, good, and he has demands for me. And I have fallen short of them, and I have failed him, and sin is transgression of the law. And then I read the good news that Jesus comes as my Savior, and he fulfills the law perfectly on my behalf, completely obedient to the law, and then he dies in my place, and he causes the wrath of God to pass over me, and he blesses me and sets me free as a child of God to live a new life, a life that is free. We call that in the Bible good news. The people in Exodus, did they save themselves? Nope. Could they save themselves? No. They were set free. This all shows how Jesus saves. So Jesus is the greater Moses and the one who alone fills the law. Jesus is the greater leader who didn't kill his enemies but allowed his enemies to kill him. Jesus is the greater Passover lamb who is slain to remove God's wrath from us. Jesus is the greater firstborn son who died for our sin. Jesus is the greater pillar of fire by day, pillar of fire by night, pillar of fire cloud by day who walks us with us by day and night. And Jesus is the greater victor who defeated the greatest Pharaoh ever, Satan. And Jesus is the greater Savior who redeems not millions from one nation, but billions from every nation. And Jesus is the greater Redeemer taking us to a greater promised land the eternal kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is the great lawgiver, not only writing his law on stone, but also on the new hearts he gives us, hearts that want to obey his law. That's our Jesus. So I need you to know this. When you go to the law, see what you have failed to do, but see what Jesus has done for you See what Jesus wants to do in you and through you. Yes, you'll still be tempted to sin. And when tempted to sin, I need you to understand the Father's heart, that God is a Father. He's a Father to the fatherless. That's what the psalmist says. When your Father says, don't do that, do this, remember the heart of your Father. Don't just look at the law, but look at the face of the lawgiver. In Jesus' name, amen.